Hello, and welcome to the People's Forum podcast. My name is Tahia, and I work on education at the People's Forum, which is a political, educational, and cultural center for internationalists and working class movement building in New York City. We welcome you all today as we discuss the history and legacy of a true internationalist feminist visionary, Clara Zetkin. The following is a Zoom recording of a course that we're holding at the People's Forum on revolutionary feminism, taking theory and putting it to practice while learning history and referencing the work of past thinkers. Disclaimer, as it's a Zoom recording, the sound may not be perfect in some parts. So who is Clara Zetkin? She's a leader in early socialist and feminist movements, often known as the grandmother of German communism. Zetkin co-organized the International Socialist Women's Congress, International Women's Day, and opposition to World War I, fascism, and the Nazi party. Her feminist analysis was rooted in and with the exploited class. In her words, socialism was the only movement that could truly serve the needs of working class women. You can view more on our course offerings and study materials at politicaleducation.peoplesforum.org. But without further ado, David Chung of the People's Forum and Kavitha Kabir of All Indian People's Science Network on Clara Zetkin. What Clara Zetkin said and did uh, in her times uh, and leading the struggle for socialism more than 100 years ago is very relevant today. She is the one who considered women as equal workers, uh, women uh, and peasants as well. And even today, it, becomes so, it is so difficult to consider women as equal workers, as we know. And similarly, her struggle against war, uh, fascism is very urgent today than it was before her, in fact. So I feel that Clara Zetkin has come closer to us today in, in our struggle for socialism in the world. You know that Zetkin was born on 15th of July in Leipzig, Germany. Her father was a teacher and her mother was highly educated. She was the one uh, who instilled the ideas of equality uh, in her from very early on. And um, Clara really received very good education for her time. She, was, uh, she studied in something called Van Stiber Institute in Germany. And while at the uh, institute, this is her secondary education years, uh, she is deeply concerned with the questions of equality of women. She reads social democratic newspapers and pamphlets, and that really um, arouses her interest in socialism. She uh, is also establishing her first social political contact with Leipzig Women's Education Society and the National Association for uh, German Women. So uh, this is how she is you know, beginning to get into the struggle. And by the middle of 1878, when she graduates in 1878, she has jumped into socialism completely. And this is very interesting time because in 1878, uh, anti-socialist laws were passed in Germany. That means uh, you could not really work as a socialist. Similarly, uh, and women were anyway barred from joining any political activity. And she's very much there. She's doing everything that she's not supposed to do. Um, I find this period fascinating because as a, as, as a very young person, she's about 20, 21 years old at this time, and she's distributing literature. She is giving fiery speeches. In the beginning, she's shy, but slowly she gets over the shyness and she begins to recruit women for the socialist cause. So this is her. When I see her as a young person, it's almost unbelievable because this is like more than 100 years ago. And this, this is a very different time when, you know, women have just begun to come out of their homes to uh, work in the factories and mostly in the factories because the elite women do, do not really work at this time. So this is also the time when she meets her future partner, a Russian revolutionary Osip Zetkin, uh, and she takes his name 
their relationship begins when he starts to lend books on Marx and Engels to her. And they go on to live together for a decade without actually getting married. They also have two sons during this period, and they are very poor. They move from cities to cities, and um, their health is suffering because they're very poor and they're working a lot. They're working too much. So, uh, yeah, they're working so much, and that is so romantic. True. I feel uh, the, the romance of revolutionaries is actually very romantic. 1889, this is an important year. This is where Clara is chosen as a member of the organizational committee to help prepare for the founding Congress of the Second International. And this is here where she gives her first important speech called for the liberation of women. And she speaks on the issue of working women and that the liberation is always tied to the working men under, um, you know, and for the fight for socialism, basically. Basically, they have to work together. This is a period where women are 20.6 of individually employed persons in Germany. This is about 1882. And the capitalists look at them as cheap labor force. And at the same time, the male workers accuse them of lowering their own wages. But Zetkin is the one who recognizes that uh, the potential of working class struggle through the women and sees them somebody who's fighting capitalism along with the working class men. And she also sees at the same time that though she sees women equal as men working for socialism, she doesn't see the men um, recognizing the women as a comrade. Uh, you know, we know that men do not leave their masculinity even as a proletariat or in any, any class for that matter. This weakness is of course alive to today when we talk about any image of worker or farmer or even youth, we always see a man in that. Worker is, is, is a man, you know, even in the, even in the pictures in the uh, things that we prepare, sometimes it's, it's always the men on the front, the farmer, it's, it's a man. So yeah, I think uh, these will, will have to change and Zetkin has realized this long ago. Um, so in her speech, she particularly says that it is not women's work per se, which in, which in competition with men's uh, work lowers the wages, but rather the exploitation of female labor by the capitalist who appropriates it. And as per her, true emancipation of women means complete transformation of their social position and a revolution in their economic role. Their coming out of homes is basically an essential step in gaining economic independence, which in turn gives them uh, space in the public realm and you know, gives them identity. And that's when you can fight with, for, uh, for socialism. Um, and Zetkin believes that uh, from women's right to work, the next logical step is obviously their organizing in the, in the trade unions. And um, as I said before, that they are going through difficult times. They are living in different cities and they were in Paris when uh, Osip Zetkin fell really ill and Clara nursed him for three years before he died. And when he dies in 1890, uh, this is also the time when anti-socialist laws are repealed and she comes back to Germany with her children. And here she grows as, as, as a mature leader. She also takes part in different trade unions and she really believes in that. In fact, there are so many trade unions. I'll just name a couple of them. She served on the executive committee of Bookbinder Trade Union 
and was the international secretary for the trailers and semesters union and was involved with the brush makers union the garment workers union the woodworkers union the glove makers union and many other so basically we see that her relationship with the working class is broad and deep it's not somebody who is you know sitting somewhere and writing about something or thinking about something she's very much there on the ground she's working with all these people liaising with all these women so i feel that's wonderful um she's also writing about the same things in 1893 she writes about women's work and trade unions uh you know and if in, in her in her journal which i'll talk about shortly and she also is thinking about women's right and she's writing about them this brings us to the time 1896 where she writes her um, this this amazing speech that she gives which you have read only with the proletarian women will socialism be victorious uh here she goes back and looks at history and tries to answer the women question here she looks at different strata of the society and clarifies that women from different classes have different needs and different interest um here she also talks about marriage she says that not individuality but money decides matrimony and what capital joins sentimental morality must not part i think it's it's fantastic it holds very much solid ground even today um so she has understood the limitations of bourgeois feminism and she separates that uh from the working class struggle and she raises the consciousness of uh working class women for the socialist cause here uh so we know that proletariat women have been fighting for a long time under terrible conditions of poverty and double burden of workload uh in the factory as well as at home so it's through their struggles slowly that there has emerged a growing mass of women who are in a planned and organized way are striving for the emancipation of their sex from the legal and social domination of men for the social and human equality between two sexes it's through the working class struggle that we see the movement is actually growing the movement for women's equality has actually grown and each economic class has its own meaning of equality uh for the upper 10000 people it's uh, it's different it's about property it's about disposing your property in the way you desire while for the middle class women because they don't really have so much property they want to have equal professional equality and they need to have job opportunities and that is why they demand these political rights rights to study all these but for the working class women the question is rooted in her exploitation um because uh, the capitalist is in a perpetual search for cheap labor force and abolition of capitalist necessary step for emancipation of proletariat women zetkin also applied all these things all these principles to her political practice and she says uh, uh so what can be done so she says our guiding thought must be we must not conduct special women's propaganda but socialist agitation among women Uh, so our task is to incorporate modern women into the class battle modern proletarian trade in women obviously uh she's also thinking about children and she writes a, a journal again she writes in 1902 protect our children this is another very interesting article that we can re read um so the year is 1903 and the uh, we know that the first edition of marx capital was out in 1867 we have we see the failures of capitalist mode of production beginning to emerge 
Marx and Engels proposed the theory of dictatorship of the proletariat, but they did not really write about the idea of socialism as such. The people who are on the ground working in the political sphere with the masses are the ones who are actually giving practical shape and meaning to these uh, ideas. And Zetkin is one of the front runners here. She is one revolutionary who gives concrete shape to the idea of socialism. In fact, she expands Marx and Engels um, on the ground among the masses. She, uh, she has written a very amazing article, uh, What Women Owe to Karl Marx, again in 1903. Uh, here she writes that Marx has not dealt with the women's question per se, but he has created uh, the most irreplaceable and important weapons for women's fight to obtain all rights. Uh, what are the weapons, you may ask? Uh, the weapons are the theoretical framework provided by historical materialism and the knowledge that it is the historical task of the working class to demolish capitalism. So basically, there are no ready-made formulas regarding the women question. Uh, it has to work out within the historical developments. This understanding of capital and Engels, the, uh, there's another seminal text of Engels, the origin of family, private property, and the state. These enabled her to understand and expand the class dimension of the women's question. In 1907, um, they are thinking about the, the, the suffrage movement has gained um, a lot of ground and um, Clara writes about women's right to vote. Um, in 1907, in Stuttgart, in fact, the impetus for the first national conference of socialist women um, has come from the Congress of German Women in 1906, which again, Zetkin helped in organizing. And uh, so finally, uh, they meet in Stuttgart in 1906, uh, 1907 actually, where 58 delegates from 15 countries meet. And during this time, and after that, there's another one in the Second International um, in 1910, when, um, when several delegations are there and they are arguing that it's more practical to fight for limited suffrage restricted by property or income qualifications rather than to demand like universal suffrage. So here Zetkin comes in picture and she uh, basically says that, um, no, <laughs> it's not gonna work. In fact, the French and British delegation at the same time are also calling her secretariat. But, you know, Zetkin is like committed and consistent and she advocates for universal suffrage. And this is also where they uh, draft a resolution. Uh, she's the one who's making it. And um, in which she says that socialist parties of all countries have a duty to struggle energetically for the introduction of universal suffrage for women. And the socialist women must not ally themselves with the bourgeois feminists, but lead the battle side by side with the socialist men. So this is what uh, she says about the rights of women. So basically, um, at this time, when they uh, adopt the resolution, they also, um, in the, within the resolution, there's also the demand to establish 8th March as the International Women's Day. And this is how the strikes which occur in America, in New York, in opposition to local bourgeois movement become a phenomena of world, uh, you know, the struggle of women all over the world. And you'll hear more about this from uh, David very soon. Uh, one of the main... Uh, Contributions of Zetkin is the editorship of the Gleichheit, the newspaper, the journal that um, she starts in 1891. She begins the role of editor as uh, in 1891 when she's 34 years old. And she holds that position for 25 years. 
this is where she is writing most of her stuff. This is where we get most of um, the articles that we have been reading. Uh, in 1903, the journal circulation is 11,000 copies, which increases to uh, 125,000 by 1914. According to her, the role of the goal of the journal was uh, to school the female comrades who stand in the forefront of the battle and in principles of Marxism and social democracy. So basically, she is not viewing the journal as you know a, a women's magazine or something, which later happens when she's removed from the, uh, the from the editorship of the this journal. There is a man who takes over, and he brings in all the same the usual things of, you know about women. I forget the name now, but he's the one appointed by the party later on to carry on the, the task of journal. But if you see the quality of journal that Clara was maintaining and what happens later and before is, is terrible. So in as an editor, I feel she's working in the agitational capacity. She's taking special care uh, to note the problems of domestic workers. And she's covering issues like dietary intake of proletarian women, their long hours, and the special dangers of working class women and the children, um, and the children as well. She is not only counting women into working class, but she is also seeing that they equally participate in the leadership of working class. And with this insight, um, you know, she is expanding um, and examining the role of patriarchy within modern family. And she also understand that that's it's a necessary relationship under capitalism. Uh, here, she's also mobilizing socialist propaganda among women using pamphlets, leaflets, papers, articles, speeches to reach broadest layer of uh, working women and uh, making them accessible. She's not thinking of women as subscribers who you know, need um, their ignorance flattered, but she's basically enlightening and educating women about class struggle through her journal. Okay, so the year is 1914, and she writes, proletarian women be prepared in, uh, because the war has begun in 1914, the World War I. And this is a very crucial time because the, her party, the SPD, the Social Democratic Party, it adopts uh, a very nationalistic approach. It supports the Imperial Germany's declaration of war on Russian Empire. So a little about SPD, and then we'll come back so there was always a bit of reformist approach um, to solve problems of capitalism within the SPD from quite some time. And uh, through his book called Evolutionary Socialism, Bernstein envisaged a sort of reformist ideology which did not see revolution as the end goal. And uh, Rosa Luxemburg, her colleague, and Clara Zetkin, they, they fought, they, they fight with this reformist ideology. In 1899, at the Workers' International Festival, Clara says that any kind of liberty, equality, or even a little improvement in the life of the working class will not come by the benevolence and justice of the upper class. She basically highlights the role of working class, working class and says that only the action of working people themselves, organized in trade unions and organized in class party for the political struggle, will in the present enforce on bourgeois society the necessary reforms and will one day change wage slaves into citizens, free citizens of a free commonwealth. So basically, even within, within the party, within SPD, though it's a social democratic party, there is no question of you know, women's equality as such. It's not arriving organically. And even when there is a question of women's uh, equality and women joining the party and so on, women are delegated to petty jobs within the party. 
And it's very interesting to see that Clara Zetkin, who is a, a leader and uh, who is um, working a lot, and she is also, also has good relationship with the leadership of her party, you know, as in uh, she knows a lot of people, Bernstein, Kotsky at this time, and I think August Babel in the beginning. So she has a relationship with them, a working relationship with uh, from whom she also learns and she's guided by them. But still, it's not like her position or anything is elevating a lot in the party, in, at least in the early years. In later years, I feel that she has fought for everything. She has fought for her position in the party, all the work that she is doing. It's not something that comes naturally. Uh, like we assume that you would grow if you are in, in a movement. It's, it's not like that. Even today, I feel it's not like that at all. People who are working in movements, they, they know that you, you fight, especially as a woman, you fight for your place. You fight for the things that you want to say. All right. So, uh, but Zetkin is recognizing uh, all these things. She's also encouraging other women uh, within the party to be true comrades in revolution by taking leadership position. She is grooming people uh, and she's uh -huh. mentoring other women as well. Um, all right. So she also, through her efforts, make sure that the communist parties work uh, towards uh, integrating women in their cadre and educating and training them and giving them leadership roles. And she believes that education is necessary very much for that, for men and women. And that is why uh, through her journal, she has continuous efforts of, of her doing the same. Now, coming back, SPD adopts a very nationalist approach on the war, while Clara Zetkin, Rosa Luxemburg, and Karl Liebnik uh, are totally against it. They show their opposition, obviously, and, but gradually they are sidelined within the party. Um, but Clara is really fiercely opposed to the war. And through her journal, through her workings, uh, she shows all that. So what is she doing? She, uh, she writes in her journal, as soon as the war begins in 1914, she calls the proletarian women to be prepared. She urges them to show their hatred for the war and support peace. Uh, she writes this, it's, it's beautiful. For the working class, the brotherhood among people is no utopia and world peace is an empty word. A concrete fact supports it, the firm solidarity of all exploited and suppressed of all nations. This solidarity must not allow proletarians to fire upon proletarians. This is what she writes in her journal as soon as the war begins in 1914. Uh, she also writes other Im important uh, articles at this time. She writes socialist women of all countries to join. Uh, she urges them to join in efforts against the war with the same, I think the name of the article is also the same. Um, Again, she says beautiful things. She says that one has told you that your husbands and sons left for the war in order to protect their weak women and children and to guard home and hearth. But what is the reality? And then she brings the, the true nature of capitalist right there. First, she highlights the plight of women under a war, the hunger and cold, and uh, also, uh, you know, the capitalist reduces the wages during war and the threat of eviction by landlord. She brings all these things into picture and then she talks about the deceitful nature of capitalist and she says that this war is beneficial for capitalists in general. Uh, it's the labor sweat that has created these goods and the labor's blood is supposed to create new foreign markets to dispose of them. Colonies are supposed to be created where the capitalist wants to rob the natural resources and exploit the cheapest labor force. 
Uh, this is what she says. She is also urging for worker solidarity across all countries. She is that's why she is writing to socialist women of all, all countries. Um, and she says it's not the capitalist who's fighting in the street, basically. It's the proletarians, the working people who are forced to, you know, shed blood in the name of war and in the name of home and in the name of you know nationalistic feelings. Um, so basically, there is nothing to nothing for the workers to gain from this war, but only they stand to lose everything that is dear to them. Finally, uh, as I said before, she appeals to women of socialist countries twice. There are two articles with the same name that you'll find. And here she's, she says something that is attributed to uh, Clara Zetkin a lot. She says, when the men kill, it is up to us women to fight for the preservation of life. When the men are silent, it is our duty to raise our voices in behalf of our ideals. In this way, uh, I feel that Zetkin is recognizing and using the revolutionary capacity of women. And by bringing them into working class struggle in large numbers, she is creating broad conditions for a possible revolution. And even today, we know that no revolution is possible without the participation and leadership of women, right? So yeah, also during the war, there is a lot of censorship. So all these things that she's writing, they are inciting a lot of people. They don't like it. And every day the censorship increases. When the censorship increases to such a level that she cannot really write anything because every word, every line, every phrase that she writes is, is censored, she publishes her paper blank. Sometimes there are articles which have some words and then there are just blank ink. They're just blank ink right there. And these are the ways in which she's protesting. Um, in August 1914, Germany invades Belgium and SPD's stand is very much clear right now. And Zetkin, Leibniz and Luxembourg, they move away and they form something called Spartacus League. You'll hear more about, more about Spartacus League from David very soon. Um, at this time, Rosa Luxemburg, uh, she asks this question. She writes about Spartacus League. She says, what does the Spartacus League want? And answers saying, there is no help. There is no escape, no rescue other than socialism. Only the revolution of the world, world proletariat can bring order into this chaos, can bring work and bread for all, can end the reciprocal slaughter of the people, can restore peace, freedom, true culture to this to humanity. This is what um, is the idea of uh, Luxembourg and her colleagues about uh, forming the Spartacus League. In uh, 1915, Zetkin, along with other activists, organizes an international socialist anti-war conference in Berlin. Here, she is arrested several times during the war, and in 1916, she is taken into protective custody. This is uh, in this period of struggle. Uh, you know, in International Women's Peace Conference in Switzerland, she again mentions uh, and brings out the role of capitalist in the war. Again and again, she says that. And, and in beautiful words, again, she says, who profits from this war? Only a tiny minority in each nation, the manufacturers of rifles, the cannons of armor plate and torpedo boats, the shipyard owners and the suppliers of armed force needs. In the interest of their profit, they have formed... Uh, they have fanned the hatred among people, thus contributing to the outbreak of war. The workers have nothing to gain from this war, but they stand to lose everything that is dear to them. So I feel this clearly reflects her foresight on the issue. And even today, we know that uh, the way uh, countries have amassed nuclear you know, weapons and atom bombs and so on, it's very difficult. And the urgency to oppose war 
to form peace movements, come together for peace is, is very, very important today. Uh, I pass it on to David. When we were deciding how to present our findings on Clara Zetkin, we decided that we would split it up 1917, which is when the Russian Revolution begins. And this period reflects a long period of revolution and counter-revolution. But you all might ask, you know, what, what does a German Marxist have to do with the Russian Revolution? The Russian Revolution actually has a, a debt of gratitude to pay to Zetkin. Kavita had mentioned back in 1910, um, at the uh, Second International Socialist Women's Congress, she proposes that there be a International Working Women's Day. She had, for three years, starting in 1907, kept saying to her comrades and her people, we need a day to commemorate and push forward the women's struggle for suffrage. And she sees the garment workers of New York marching through the streets, 15,000 strong, to protest factory conditions and unlivable unsurvivable wages. She says, let's mark and commemorate International Working Women's Day. Also in 1908, she meets Alexandra Kalantai. She is actually in exile because she writes an article called Finland and Socialism. She goes to exile uh, in Germany and she gets to meet Clara Zetkin, Rosa Luxemburg, and other revolutionaries in Germany and really develops her, her theory. This all ties back to the Russian Revolution because Alexandra Kalantai becomes one of the key leaders of the Russian Revolution. And then in 1917, on February 23rd, which is March 8th on our calendar, the first strikes happen in Petrograd where women start to leave the factories. And this is all organized because of International Working Women's Day. They're crying out for bread and peace. This becomes the rallying cry eventually for the revolution, red, peace, and land. You see all of this tie in together that this international solidarity, international proletarianism exists. And the Russian revolution really starts off because of International Working Women's Day, because of the women striking. When we say that there can be no revolution without women, this isn't just a saying, it's very clear in our history and in our learnings. Zetkin has many conversations with Lenin about the woman's question. And I would encourage folks to actually read it. It's fascinating, some of the conversations that they're going back and forth of, about what it means to organize women, uh, working women. And Lenin actually criticizes her. He says, why do you talk about sex and marriage in your meetings? You all might have heard the saying, the mountains didn't come to Moses. Moses went to the mountains. That's really a saying of, you need to go to the, where the people are at. You need to meet people where they are at. And Zetkin was clear that, you know, you might start off with these conversations, but then we introduce theory and we introduce revolutionary theory to the people. We need to take some of those lessons, right? How do we meet people, meet working women where they're at? What are the conditions that they're facing? And make sure that, you know, you don't just stop there. Don't just talk about the things that they want to talk about, but then introduce the theory into it. I would recommend folks to read two amazing historical figures and comrades really talking about what organizing uh, looks like. Zekin is immensely inspired by the Russian Revolution. She continues work with what is now the Spartacus League because she has left the Social Democratic Party, the party that she had spent a majority of her life up to that point, building up, even though it was illegal for her to participate. Can you imagine that? An organization that is your home, an organization that you've built up, you having to leave because their policies and their politics have become so backwards. We see that they were supporting the German government during World War I by signing a peace treaty 
saying that workers would not protest. Zetkin was very against that. She said that the world war that Germany was fighting was an imperialist war. You all might hear a term, no war except class war. That's something that Zetkin was very clear on, that wars in capitalist societies are imperialist war. She gets removed as the editor of Die Gleichheit. This really is a big blow. As Kavita mentioned, this was a paper for working women, cadres, and really contributed to the development of theory of working women leaders. Shortly afterwards, 1918, close to the end of World War I, the so-called German Revolution succeeds in November. The reason why I put it in quotations is because the Social Democratic Party comes into power and their leader, uh, Frederick Eibert, actually promises the chancellor that them coming into power is so that they will make sure that the imperial system remains intact and that there won't be any major changes. And so I bring this up because in 1919, two months after, Rosa Luxemburg and, and Karl Liebknecht um, they are contemporaries and, and comrades of Zetkin. They call for something called the Spartacist Week, which is a week where they're calling on workers to fight for communism, go out into the streets, organize these actions. Zetkin and actually Luxembourg are, are clear that the masses of people are actually not yet in alignment with the ideals of communism. They're actually more uh, reformist. They're more aligned with the Social Democratic Party. But Luxembourg and Karl Liebknecht actually still carry it through. And actually Ebert, the leader of the SPP, calls on the Free Corps, the, these like militia groups, to actually execute Luxembourg and, and Karl Liebknecht. During this time, you see Zetkin write a lot about kind of the, the impact and the legacies of Luxembourg and of, of Karl Liebknecht. And she then has to lead the party, lead the Communist Party of Germany, not just in organizing Germany, but also participating in the founding of the third Communist International. Clara Zetkin uh, is, is leading her party and the work in the Third International. And you see a lot of her speeches on, on what it means to carry out communist work amongst women. You need to agitate. You need to have propaganda. There's some amazing writing that you'll see of her where she's criticizing people for printing out pamphlets on, on crappy paper. Who would want to read something that's, you know, ripped up? And she's agitating her comrades and her party to really think about what would be the ways to reach women and, and working women. We should be asking ourselves the question right now, what are, what are the best ways that we can reach working women? She's also part of the executive committee of the Communist International. For folks who are aware of parties, the central committee is usually like the highest branch, and then the executive committee is even a smaller portion within the, the central committee. So she had a very high standing within the Communist International. I want to bring a speech from her report on the communist women's movement. The task is to throw broader masses of women than before into the revolutionary struggle to overthrow capitalism and the bourgeois state, mobilize and train them, and make them ready and competent to undertake the construction of communism. The woman's question is central to everything that Clara Zetkin theorizes, even with her work around anti-fascism, around internationalism and anti-imperialism, the woman's question is always central. And so we should read her theory in that way. I'm going to go into 1922 because this is when the fascist party of, of Italy rises to power. And the Nazi party hasn't come into power yet, but 
Clara Zetkin is very clear on the characteristics of fascism. And she recognizes that even if the Nazi party is not in power yet, the conditions exist for fascism to take hold of Germany. You'll find that that's very prescient because what happens in 1932? Hitler comes into power, right? So 10 years before the Nazi party has come into power, um, she's talking about the characteristics of fascism. And I'll kind of briefly go over them because I think it's really relevant to what we're facing today. Fascism is a product of capitalist rule. It has the mass support or there's a mass characteristic of fascism. It appeals to working class people by making false promises on the falling economic conditions that they're facing. And so there's a quote where she says that fascism is an asylum for all the politically homeless, the socially uprooted, the destitute, and the disillusioned. If we think about the conditions of today and what happened yesterday, we've been in economic times right now, conditions are deteriorating, that the capitalist mode of production and the economy is really deteriorating. So we need to recognize these things. It sets false hopes and promises. She actually brings up the point of Italy and, and Mussolini. Mussolini actually promised women the right to vote, but once he came into power, does not actually follow through on it. Fascism views the state as an instrument, specifically a strong and authoritarian state, using the police, using the military to suppress proletarian and working class solidarity, working class organizations. And they'll use all of these state apparatuses to break down these organizations. It maintains a close relationship with the bourgeoisie and the, the ruling class. It'll provide the troops for the bourgeoisie to oppress the proletariat. And it invokes terrorist violence. These words may resonate because literally what happened yesterday at the Capitol with the right-wing militias, that was terroristic violence. Fascism utilizes that. And then lastly, back to the kind of false hopes and promises, it actually uses sometimes anti-capitalist demagogy or what we would say in our times, co-optation. They co-opt phrases and, and terms that seem anti-capitalist, but in its essence, do not hold anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist policies. And these are the characteristics. But what's key is how do you fight it? How do you fight fascism? That's really the lessons that you know we have to draw. Clara Zetkin uh, was an advocate and, and constantly advocated for what is known as the United Front. And the United Front is the idea that you need to build broad-based solidarity and, and coalitions amongst working class organizations. The other is that the proletariat and the working class needs to exert its leadership. And so the only way you can defeat fascism is with socialism. Shortly after the Russian Revolution, there was revolutions in Mexico, Argentina, Iran, um, but all of those revolutions eventually were defeated by the counter-revolutions. And and so Clara Zetkin says that fascism arrives as a punishment because the proletariat is unable to carry forward the revolution. I would kind of end with those two points on, on Clara Zetkin. There's a lot more to read. I hope that this is just a commercial uh, for folks to want to learn and, and read uh, Clara Zetkin more. And I also want to point out that she was a committed internationalist. If folks know about the Scottsboro case in Alabama, this was a case where eight black boys were accused of raping two white women on a train. What actually happened was that 
white men were trying to kick out the black men from the train. And as the black men were standing their ground and, and protecting themselves, the white men were embarrassed and they went to the police and had the woman uh, accuse the black men of rape. Kyler Zetkin was part of an international red aid organization. You could think of it kind of like the Red Cross for like politics and social issues where they would provide aid to cases that did not have attention but were key in the proletariat struggle. And she recognized that this was a fight that needed to happen because the ruling class, the capitalists, were using the Scottsboro Boys as a way to strike fear into the Black masses. And so as a communist, they recognized that the, the conditions existed where if they defended the Scottsboro Boys, this wasn't just a defense of these individual cases, but this was a, a larger class struggle that needed to be waged. Eventually, the Communist Party of, of USA CPUSA, they're the first and they're actually the only organization that comes to the defense of the Scottsboro Boys because of the attention that uh, Zekin and the uh, International Red Aid puts on the case. And eventually the case is won. And we learn about, you know, how this ties even to Claudia Jones. She started off with the kind of Scottsboro Boys case and all of that. So I wanted to end it all off with in 1932, Clara Zekin is 74 years old. She's living in Moscow in Russia at the time. The Nazi party is, is coming into power. As the oldest member of parliament, she has the right to open up the, the Reichstag. Or, or parliament. And her party asks her, do you want to open up and give the opening speech? And she says, dead or alive, I'll be there. And literally, she's having fainting spells. She's kind of on the verge of dying. And she has her comrades carry her up the right side. She gives a speech that is so powerful that I actually wanted to kind of end it off. All those who are menaced, all those who suffer, all those who desire freedom must join the united front against fascism and its representatives in government. Working people must assert themselves against fascism. That is the urgent and indispensable precondition for a united front against economic crisis, imperialist war, and its causes, and the capitalist mode of production. Millions of women in Germany are still subjected to the chains of sexual slavery and thereby also to the most oppressive form of class slavery. They must not be absent from the united front of working people now taking shape in Germany. The youth who want to blossom and mature must fight in the very front ranks. Today, they face only the prospect of corpse-like military obedience and exploitation in the ranks of obligatory labor service. All those who produce through intellectual labor whose skill and will augment social well-being and culture, but can find no expression in the existing bourgeois order, they too belong on the United Front. The United Front must embrace all those who are dependent on wages or salaries, or otherwise must pay tribute to capitalism, for it is they who both sustain capitalism and are its victims. I am opening the session of the Reichstag in fulfillment of my duty as honorary chair, and in the hope that despite my present infirmities, I may yet have the good fortune to open as honorary chair the first Congress of Workers' Councils of a Soviet Germany. She dies after a few months in, in 1933. She lives a long life. We're incredibly blessed to have her writings through her editorial and and also her speeches. The speeches are extremely powerful. I want to make sure that folks understand how Clara Zetkin is a, a comrade a revolutionary, 
uh, someone that could have had a kind of middle strata life as a teacher, but chose to be a poor revolutionary. And we need to uh, admire and, and also learn and, and really study her in, in the times that we're facing right now.